Good morning to everybody. Great to be here today. Great to be here today. And uh, it's wonderful to look forward to this latest uh, <coughs> heat spell to be, you know, at least uh, moderating some. So please be safe. We do want to remember all of those in the prayer list always. And uh, Teresa Perkins will be having knee replacement surgery on Wednesday at, Met at Methodist Medical Center. Please keep her in your prayers as well. And if you're visiting with us today, I want you to know, we want you to know that you're a blessing to us just by being here with us. You've taken time out of your Sunday morning to be here to worship God and to be with us. You're an encouragement to us. And we pray that your being here will be a blessing and encouragement to you. And uh, we encourage all of our members to meet our visitors and welcome them and uh, let them know that they are appreciated. We're getting close to the end of our series that uh, we have been looking at over the last several weeks. And I said this is a series that I wanted to begin each lesson with asking the question, what does it mean? And so we talked about what does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to seek forgiveness? What does it mean to, to be born again? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean, we want to look at today, to love God? What does it mean to love God? Now you think about that question and you might say, well, there's a whole lot of people who say they love God. Surely everybody must love God, or most people. Well, I think it's common for people to say, I love God, but they say it without much serious thought as to what that really means. And so you, you see people who seldom attend a worship service or a Bible class of any church at any time, anywhere, but they say they love God. You see people who make little attempt to honor God in the way that they live their lives. They live pretty much in open sinfulness and ungodliness, but they say they love God. You see people who teach their children very little, if anything, about God, but they declare their love for God. You see people who use the name of God and his Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in profane and vulgar ways on a regular basis, but they insist that they love God. I hope you see the inconsistencies in all of these kinds of descriptions of people. And so we need to ask ourselves then, what does it really mean to truly love God? Obviously, it's not just spoken words. What does it mean to truly love God? We are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with every bit of our being. As John read just a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38, Jesus was asked, which is the great commandment in the law? Now he's referring to the Old Testament law of Moses, but obviously the, the principle applies to us today in New Testament Christianity. And so Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Really, it begins right here when we're talking about, do I want to get to heaven? Do I want to live a godly lifestyle? Do I want to be a Christian? Do I want to be faithful to God? It begins with, first we could say, God's love for us. 
in that he loves the world so much, mankind so much, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 and verse 16. And also, as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates his love toward us, demonstrates it openly, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love for us and continues to show his love for us on a daily basis. We think about good, truly good things in our lives, they're blessings from God. James wrote, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God demonstrates, has demonstrated, continues to demonstrate his love for us. Well, how do we demonstrate our love for him? We shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. This is the first and great commandment. So God began to demonstrate his love, bottom line, foundational. We respond in love for God. So what does that mean for our lives? Let me sum up in one succinct statement. To love God is to obey God. To truly love God is to obey God, not just once, but throughout our lives. So let's make some particular points of statement, emphasis, and identification as to what true love for God is. I think we can say, again, in a very down-to-earth way, don't even talk about how much you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. If you can't drag yourself to services to worship God on a regular basis, and I'm not talking about hit or miss here and there, now and then, once in a while. I'm talking about every time you can possibly be with the church when the church meets to worship God and study his word. But certainly every first day of the week as we come together to worship God and partake of the Lord's Supper. But let's not try to, to figure out what's the least I can do in coming to worship God and study his word with the church. What's the least I can do that, and I'll still be okay. If that's our mindset, our, our line of thought, we've all, we're already in trouble spiritually. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, familiar text of scripture. Many of us could probably quote at least verse 25. But there, the Hebrews writer said, let us hold fast the confession of our faith, our confession of faith in God and in Christ. Christ is our Lord and Savior, God's Son. Let us hold fast to that without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another, that is our brothers and sisters in Christ, within the Lord's church to, in order to stir up love and good works. How can I encourage my fellow Christians, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and how can they encourage me? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be together as the Lord's church. God sent his son to this earth Part of that mission was to establish his church upon this earth. Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus said even his death on the cross would not keep that from being established. And so the church is here for a reason. 
And we need to respect that reason, that wisdom from God exhibited through the existence of the church here. Now, he has given us his word to guide our life. Paul put it into rather, again, succinct form in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us his word to guide us in godliness, in a godly lifestyle, in a lifestyle that that gives him the glory through the way we live our lives and in a lifestyle that ultimately will lead us to heaven, an eternal home with him forever and ever therein. Now, diligent study of God's word is critical then. It is pivotal for us to know how to live that righteous life. And so going back to the second chapter of 2 Timothy, verse 15, Paul said, be diligent. King James Version says, study to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or understanding and correctly applying to my life the word of truth. And that's God's word. We need to, we need to pursue learning, studying and learning God's word with diligence. And that's a very strong and active word. And that's part of what worship is about. We're studying God's word right now. I'm teaching. You're learning. You're thinking about application. That's part of what we do as we come together to worship God. In fact, we need to not just take it in, but we need to be taught so that we can teach others as well. And that's part of what God expects of us. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, the Hebrews writer is writing to the congregation, to the Christians generally, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the very foundational teachings of the oracles of God. So he's saying by this time you've been Christians long enough that you ought to be able to at least teach some of Christian doctrine, but instead you're still back there kind of in the starting blocks. You're still back there in need of the base of the very basics again so that you can really understand and start to grow. But you should have already grown to some extent at least by this time. And you have come to need milk instead of solid food. And he's talking like, like a, a, a newborn infant. And for a while during that early life of that baby, mama keeps giving that baby milk before the baby can get to a point where his system is developed to the point and matured enough so that he can tolerate solid food. And then it becomes more and more solid. So everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of God or the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who, have, uh, who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have exercised have exercised to discern both good and evil. Their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. We can think about that too from a physical perspective. If somebody just sits around or lays around all the time, all day, every day, their muscles are, are going to become less and less strong and maybe even if they don't use certain muscles at all, they'll atrophy and they'll be useless. 
Well, Paul says you need to keep, or the Hebrews writer says you need to keep getting into God's word. You need to keep at that exercise of studying and learning and making the proper application to your life on an active basis all of the time so that you can grow in that knowledge. You can mature spiritually. And again, that's part of what happens as we come together to worship God and study his word. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, the apostle Paul wrote along this line, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we learn, we're taught so that we can begin teaching. But we also worship God as we come together in singing. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, the, the, the Hebrews writer wrote, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We've been doing that this morning, beautiful singing. I commend you for that. And that's part of what we, we come to do as we worship God as the church. We sing praises to him and give him thanks through those words of those songs. And some of those songs are even prayer. Now, we also need to worship him and come to him and, and praise him and glorify him and lay our needs before him as we come together as the church in prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, Paul wrote, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And prayer is part of what we, we do when we come together to worship God. Also, we come to him partaking of the Lord's Supper, remembering his sacrifice of his son and that sacrifice by his son as he went to that cross to die to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, familiar to us, isn't it? When he had given thanks, that is, Jesus gave thanks, he broke it, the bread, that is, and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you, eat, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we're telling people this is what our Savior did for us. This is what God's love demonstrated to us. He died for us. But we're also saying that last phrase, till he comes, we're telling people all around us as we partake of the supper every first day of the week, he's coming back. He's coming back, and we're remembering that reality as we partake of the supper. You cannot worship God if you're not with the church in worship as the church comes together to worship. We also worship him through giving. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, stir, uh, uh, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So important, pivotal, is our being together as the church regularly to worship God and study his word. If you truly love God, you will also be obedient to his teachings. 
As I said a moment ago, to love God, bottom line is to obey God, to live for him, to serve him, to be dedicated and committed to him every day. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, and the night of the betrayal, if you love me, keep my commandments. He repeated it in verse 21, just a few verses later. He who has my commandments and, keep, and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then just a few verses later, he said it again. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I think we were supposed to get a message there, don't you? And then in verse 24, he says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And so there's no way to misunderstand the importance of what he's saying there and getting across the understanding that we are to live by God's word in faithful obedience consistently. Our obedience actually identifies us as truly walking with God. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, John the apostle wrote, Now by this we know that we know him. How? Well, again, there's people who say, I love God, but they seldom attend worship service anywhere. I love God, but they do little in their lives to really honor him by the way that they live. Well, what does John say here? Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his commandments or his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. To love God is to obey God. In the fifth chapter of 1 John, verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That last statement, and his commandments are not burdensome. The devil is so skillful at clouding our vision into thinking it is too much trouble for you to go to church services every week, especially several times a week. You don't have time to sit down and read your Bible or listen to the word being taught over some mass media uh, airwaves such as podcasting or a radio program. You just don't have time. And all those commandments, they just get in your way of, of having a happy life. Exactly the opposite. They equip us to live the best life that a person can live, the most fulfilling life and the most joyful life. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, if you truly love God, do your best to raise your children to love God also. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 4, the apostle Paul wrote, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Do you want your children to have a long, productive, fruitful, happy life? Read that verse again. Read that statement. Teach your children to love God. Bring them up in this instruction of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Honor your father and mother. Where does that come from? From God's word. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition 
or the instruction and discipline of the Lord. We have a responsibility as parents to raise our children in God's word by his teachings to teach them and instill in their minds and their understanding in their very lives the word of God. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, and we could read a much more lengthy text or two there, but going back to, to this, this particular text of scripture, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in the house, you will, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, that's pretty much all day long, isn't it? You keep giving that example. You keep leaving tidbits to your children. You keep making on purpose, with a purpose, to be teaching your children the ways of God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them in the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, he's saying, parents, keep God's word before your children all the time. How you teach your children will greatly determine, will greatly determine their faithfulness. And let me take that a little bit farther. How you teach your children will greatly determine their eternal destiny. Heaven or hell. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the wise man wrote in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Help your children to love God. If you truly love God, help your children to love God. Show your love for God before them on a consistent basis by the way you live your life and how you teach them God's word. And by teaching them God's word, you teach them how to get to heaven. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul reminded Timothy that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now if we traced how Timothy had come to know the holy scriptures that would lead him to eternal salvation, eternal life in heaven, since childhood, we'll look in a different text and see that it was through his mother and his grandmother teaching him from childhood on up. If you truly love God, you will serve him in active dedication. Active dedication. In James chapter 2, beginning with verse 17, we're not going to look at the entire text of how James, in detail and repetitively, makes the point, emphasizes the truth, that real, true, saving faith is active, dedicated, working faith. But look at verses 17 and 18. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, James says, is dead. That's dead faith. Inactive, passive faith that is not active is dead faith, he says. But someone will say, you, show, you have faith, I have works. And James says, okay, 
show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by your work, by my works. And then he goes on in verse 22, he says, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by faith, uh, by works, faith was made perfect. Someone who says, well, I believe, that's enough. James says, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. Your faith needs to be active. It needs to be obedient. It needs to be serving. It needs to be dedicated. It needs to be committed on a daily basis. It needs to be your life. Your life. If you truly love God, you will serve him in active dedication. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about a transformation in life when we become a Christian. He says, I beseech you, beginning with verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You're supposed to be different now. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, you've been made new. John 3, verses 3 through 5, you've been born again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind as you learn God's word, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, we've got to know God's word in order to live by God's word. And so there's that study again, that diligent, that diligent dedication to learn more and more so that we can make the proper applications in our lives. If you truly love God, always use his name in a respectful manner. There are people who say, they insist, oh, I love God. But they curse, they use profanity and vulgarity and lace it with God's name and Jesus' name continually through their lives, pretty much every day. Exodus 20 and verse 7, one of the original Ten Commandments you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We need to respect God's name. And it just, it really hurts me when I hear people use God's name and Christ's name in a vulgar sentence in profanity. We need to respect God's name because that demonstrates respect for God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And when you're cursing and profaning God's name through vulgarity, you're not doing that to the glory of God. In fact, you are showing disrespect for God and his name. As you are, the question ought to be for each of us. Are you living in such a way that your life demonstrates that you truly love God with everything that you are? What did Jesus say again? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. As we stop and reflect and look at ourselves through the mirror of our mind, can we say 
that we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, is the way we're living, demonstrating that on a daily basis? Or do we need to make some changes in our lives? Does your attendance at worship services show such love and dedication? Does your faithful, obedient lifestyle demonstrate that you have love for God in your heart with all of your heart, with everything that you are? Are you raising your children to love God above all else because the devil is going to bombard them with all kinds of temptations and challenges? Is your love for God demonstrated in ongoing, dedicated, committed, active service to him? Do you use God's name in such a way as to show him true love and reverence always? What does it mean to love God? Are you ready to give your life to him through Jesus Christ if you have not yet done so? And I'm not just talking about saying some words. I'm talking about repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ openly, surrendering to him through baptism so the blood that he shed on the cross can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. If you need prayers of the church because you recognize, you know, I need, I've been messing up. I've not been really loving God as the way I should. We'd love to pray with you if you just step forward and ask us or talk with us privately. If you need to study some more, we're here. If you'll ask us, we will make that happen. We want to help you understand that God loves you so much and that he deserves your love for him in all of the ways that he expects. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together?